Our gospel reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through chapter 10, verse 4. This is also the text for our sermon this morning. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The name of the the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter. And Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. What do you do? That's a question we hear often that people ask us when we meet someone new for the first time. What, what do we, we do? And our answers in, in this room obviously are going to, to vary, right? Some of us here are, are pastors. Some of us here are Uh, stay-at-home moms who homeschool their kids. Some of us here uh, are teachers. Some of us here are retired. Some of us work for the government. Some of us work for the sanitation in the county. It's all over the place. What, What we do we can, as individuals, answer that differently. And yet, my hope, my goal for our time today is that when you are asked that question, maybe you'll think about it a little differently. Maybe you'll respond a little differently to what you do. We, here in the central Colorado mountains, so Christ Lutheran, in combination with, in partnership with Gracious Savior and Edwards and with Concordia Lutheran up in Steamboat Springs, with Peace Arvada and our Father Centennial, there, there are m- many churches together that are, are coming together to form Summit Mission Alliance. It's Summit Mission Alliance 
The goal is this, to plant missionaries in the central Colorado mountains. To plant missionaries so that they can take the word of God out to their respective communities. Our focus right now is on the community of, of Leadville. Leadville has a struggling church, but they do not have a pastor. In fact, uh, I'll be going up to Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Leadville this afternoon and, and preaching the word there as we prepare to send a missionary to that place. And we're, we're doing things like fixing up the parsonage that the church owns so that when a missionary and his family, if that be the case, comes to Leadville, they'll have a comfortable place to live. We're also raising finances so that we can afford a missionary in that place so that three months in we don't run out of money and say, sorry, <laughs> you have to move back to fill in the blank, right? And so this is a really good time for us also to take a look at what Scripture says and what our Lord Jesus says about mission, about missionaries, about what the followers of Jesus do. And so we are going through Matthew chapter 9 and chapter 10. This section of Scripture, it contains a lot of discussion about missions, right? In fact, it includes one of the five discourses or teachings or sermons of Jesus in the book of Matthew on mission, the mission discourse, the mission sermon. And today what we see is Jesus sending out his 12, his disciples on his mission to expand his kingdom of grace and mercy. In order to, to understand this, to go through this, I think it will be helpful for us today to work backwards through the text and, and take a look at who Jesus is sending out. The names of the 12 apostles are, are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. All right, so let's t think about this, this list of people. Right? These are the, the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles. It happens to be the only time that, the Ma that Matthew in his gospel uses the word apostles, meaning sent ones, right? And so uh, these are the 12 apostles. The 12 apostles are significant, are important, are unique in the history, in the life of the church. First, what we can see that Jesus is doing here by selecting 12, there's significance in that number. Because by, by selecting 12 apostles, he's pretty much saying, I am Israel, reduced to one person. 
And these are my sons that I'm sending out. If you remember back to the Old Testament, Israel or or Jacob, uh, he had 12 sons. And they were were the 12 tribes of Israel. This is Jesus' way of saying, this is who I am and this is who they are. And, and the 12 apostles, they're significant also, we read in Scripture, because the, the foundation of the church is built upon the prophets and the apostles. So, yes, the apostles are important. However, I think we also have to consider that they were human. Sometimes we, when we think about the 12 apostles or 12 disciples, we put them up on a a pedestal. Who can never be uh, like them quite uh, fully. But let's take a look at these these 12, at least what we can discern from this list. First of all, four of them, Peter, And Andrew, his brother, and James and John, four of them were fishermen. Probably successful fishermen. They had a business. uh, At least uh, John and James, their father, ran a fishing business up on the Sea of Galilee. right? So probably made a decent livelihood. But what them being fishermen says to us is that they weren't rabbis. They, they, They hadn't gone to, uh, to put it into modern day language, they hadn't gone to a Concordia University or a Concordia Seminary. They hadn't received that formal level of education. These were blue-collar workers that Jesus called and then Jesus sent out on mission. Who else is amongst the, the 12? Oh, well, uh, there's Matthew, author of this gospel, also a tax collector. And we heard all last week about what tax collectors were like and what, how they were viewed in Israel. Essentially, they worked for the Roman government and they were traitors and they were thieves. They took a little bit too much money. They weren't liked. They represented government. They were traitors. They, they were Jews who worked for the government. And another person that's part of the 12 is someone called Simon, not Simon Peter, but Simon the Zealot. Now, we're not given a whole lot of information beyond that, but people have come to understand, taken from that, that what, what did Simon do? What was his previous occupation? Well, he was a terrorist. <laughs> the zealots, they were working not for Rome, but they were working to undo what Rome is doing, to undermine them. They weren't working for the government. Zealots were blowing government up, if you will. And so both Matthew and Simon the zealot we're sitting together following Jesus. And can we just say, there probably wasn't a whole lot of nights around the campfire singing Kumbaya. Right? 
In fact, what we, we do know is that they would argue, the 12, about who's the greatest, that sort of things. Sometimes Jesus would get frustrated with them. And yet, Jesus calls these 12 flawed individuals to be the apostles of the church. Sometimes, when we think about our lives, our, our calling, we forget the fact that Jesus also sends us. Right? Think about all, all the things, occupations that we do, things that we do. Teacher, homemaker, uh, work for, um, as a doctor, and we're retired. All of these things are, are great. All of these things are how God prepares for, uh, for us uh, to, to live, to be provided for, to be cared for. However, Jesus is also, when he calls you as a disciple, he's also sending you as a missionary into the world. And you might be thinking, oh, I need, oh, there's so much I don't know. You might be thinking, I'm kind of new to this Christian thing. You might be thinking, this is scary. But you see, this is how our God operates. God loves community. This isn't to say community is easy. This isn't to say that we all get along. When we have friction at a church congregation meeting, we can say, well, maybe that's just kind of like the first meetings when Jesus was there with the 12. And yet, the Lord Jesus, in our various occupations in life, and our roles in life, he sends us out as his ambassadors. He commissions us. That's another word that we use. End of Matthew's Gospel. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them all that I've commanded you and I'll be with you. Right? The commission isn't merely for the twelve. And it's not only for pastors. The commission is for disciples of Jesus. So we, we think about the individuals. Oh, and you might be thinking, I'm just a student. I'm just young. Some speculate that the disciples were teenagers. We can talk about why they get to that place, but think about it at the most that they're they're what, mid-20s? These are young guys. Wherever you are in life, Jesus sends you out as a missionary, a missionary of, of his grace and his gospel. But, so we, we talk about the messengers, and we, we can understand them. But let's look back. 
and see what the, his mandate to us as his church, as his followers, is like. Verse 37, Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray when you get time. Pray when it's convenient. No, he says this. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the other Lord's Prayer. Right? We, we think about the Lord's Prayer, our Father, that's that, right? Rightly called that. This is the other specific prayer that our Lord Jesus commands us, mandates us as his followers to, to pray. And we, we pray this, and, and he, he tells us two things. He tells us that the, the, the harvest is plentiful and the, the workers are few. So those of us not in an agricultural society, right, like there's lots of, food, uh, of, of grain to be sown or to, to, to uh, I'm sorry, to be reaped, to be brought in. We need people to do that. This isn't Jesus. We can't take this out of text, uh, out of context. This isn't Jesus saying, uh, "Well, in order for our economy to work, we need people to work at the restaurants and the, to work at you know that." That's not his point. Okay, may, maybe that's a, a valid point. Whatever, we can take that somewhere else. That's not his point in this text, though. His point in the text is this. There is a mission field out there, abundant mission field of people who are ready to, to receive the good news of Christ. We just need workers. Pray. And he turns around and answers that prayer by saying, oh, you 12, go. <laughs> we pray. We, as we're thinking about our mission work up in, in Leadville, I've invited many people to join me, and I invite you today in what's ref- what I refer to as 10-2 prayers, right? So the parallel text is from Luke chapter 10, verse 2, where he says, the Lord, um, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest harvest, right? So what I do is at 10.02 in the morning, I've got an alarm on my phone, a repeating alarm. And what I do every day at 10.02 is pray the Lord's prayer, the command to send workers into the harvest, right? And it's, it's a daily reminder. Monday through Saturday, my alarm goes off. Works out that right around 10.02, we're doing the, the prayers of the church here on Sunday morning, so probably wouldn't be good for us to interrupt the worship service with, with my alarm going off, but we pray that still. Would you consider praying this? We desperately need workers in the harvest field. Have you looked at the, the statistics? Have you heard the numbers as far as pastors retiring? I don't know. It's something like half of pastors are going to retire 
in a couple years in that Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. That's a lot of pastors to retire. And there's not a whole lot of guys coming through the seminary. We need to pray, Lord, send laborers, send workers. And where does that start? Well, it starts right here where we think and we understand that we ourselves are those laborers. And, you know, I, I'm a product of the Concordia system. I've gone to Concordia University in Chicago. I've gone to Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. I'm a product of the system. But maybe it seems like the Lutheran Church needs to also be exploring some other avenues to ordination so that missionaries can be sent out. In fact, brothers of mine in the ministry are working uh, steadfastly to, to develop those sorts of things right now. Here's why. I pray to the Lord of the harvest so that my children and my future grandchildren can hear the gospel. I pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest, to send people who will speak of his grace so that the church in America, it, it might look different. Let's just call it what it is. It might look different than what we grew up experiencing. Our Concordia, Concordia universities, they're, they're changing quickly. If you take a look at what's happened over the past few years, some of them are closing because of financial realities. It might look different, but here's what we do know. The Lord provides workers. He hears our prayer, and he'll send missionaries out into this community. His church is not in trouble. The, the churches we've experienced it, maybe, in, in this form, brick and mortar, it might be in, in trouble, but the church itself, the Lord promises us, he will build his church. And he does. And one of the ways that he does this is by calling and equipping laborers for the harvest. But what's the motive for all, all of this? We, we, we know the messengers. We know the mandate to pray. But Jesus has a motive behind all of this. In verse 35, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In chapters 8 and 9, Jesus was doing lots of miracles, lots of, of healing. Uh, he, he heals a leper, who it's a skin disease, someone who is cast out from that culture, that community. He also heals a centurion, a Roman centurion servant. So someone who was a Gentile 
And he commends the faith of that Roman. He, he heals Peter's mother-in-law who is sick. There are, there's a man who can't walk, who gets up. There's demon-possessed individuals. And he casts those demons out. Jesus is showing his compassion to a hurting, sin-filled world that's broken, that's sick, that's plagued with sin. And as Jesus does this, what are the religious leaders saying? Just before our text, the verse before our text for today says the Pharisees, essentially the pastors of that time, the Pharisees were saying he cast out demons by the devil. You can see why Jesus has compassion, why he refers to the people of Israel as sheep without a, a shepherd. Here, these people are supposed to be leading the nation of Israel in mission, in the compassion of the Lord. And what are they doing instead? They're burdening them, telling them, you have to keep these rules. You have to keep these laws. And and these these poor sheep of, of Israel... The Lord has compassion on them. Compassion, kindness, maybe, from our kids. Compassion, it's not just a feeling. It's that, but it's also an action. Compassion has a problem sitting still. (laughs) Compassion does stuff, right? Compassion is shown by our Lord when, when he steps down from his throne in heaven to take on human flesh, to become amongst us, amongst sinners, amongst the sick, amongst the hurting, amongst the demon-possessed, to walk with them. Compassion is shown by our Lord Jesus when he recognizes, yeah, I can, I can heal the sick. I can cast demons out. But I also have to get to the root of the issue. And we know that the root is sin. That's what we refer to as Christians as the fall. It's the brokenness of this world And Jesus says, out of compassion, I'm going to address the sin problem. And he goes to the cross. He pays the price of sin for all people, for the whole world. And he gives us his life and blessing because he loves us. He's compassionate for us. I, I, I've thought about this myself. Like, Lord, I want, 
I want your compassion. You've sent me out on mission to share with other people. What stops me from having your compassion? And if I'm honest with myself, the thing that can stop me from being compassionate is being judgmental. Looking at people, and instead of saying, I feel sorry for them, I say, well, (laughs) decisions have consequences. They made a poor decision, and now they're just reaping what they've sown. (laughs) They made their bed, now they're laying in it, right? Jesus knows this. Jesus addresses this. And yet, at the same time, Jesus has compassion. You can have both, right? You can, you can know what God's will is. You can understand what he teaches in Scripture. And you can have compassion on people who are hurting as well. How can we do that? Well, we're reminded that our job isn't to judge. That's Jesus. Jesus has that one under control. He'll do that on the last day. Sin was judged on the cross. What he sends us out to do is not go out and judge. He says, go out and show compassion. Preach the kingdom of heaven. We also can do this when we recognize how much compassion Jesus has had on us. All the times that we have failed as fathers, as mothers, as husbands, as wives, as students, as teachers, as employees or employers, and Jesus has compassion on us. He loves you. He's forgiven you. He's washed away your sins in baptism. And he calls us out as missionaries of his grace. And so you might be a doctor or a teacher, a parent or a child, a student, whatever the case may be. And in that vocation, Jesus sends you out as a missionary of his grace his love, his compassion. Amen.